0: Hello everyone, welcome back to Squawk
1: 876 where we bring the lives of aviation professionals to your screen and we're back with the part 2 of our interview with Captain Maria Zaidi Haddad and we're going to go more into the aviation life, what it was like. So, first question or the first thing I want you to paint the picture for us. Your career, you worked with different airlines. So, could you paint the picture of what it was like of, at Air Jamaica first? Firstly,
0: okay. Well, at Air Jamaica, over the um, well it was about 35 years from flight attendant all the way up to captain, worked on different aircraft as a flight attendant from DC 9s, DC 8s, uh, 727s uh, around North America and, of course, to Europe, Frankfurt, and London. Great layovers. Uh, lovely life and as a pilot it was again the 727 a300s and the a320 family okay so uh, basically you know you have to be punctual on time for your flights your duty day could be anywhere from four or five hours on a very short flight very short day to with, with air jamaica it was 16 to 18 hours depending on where you're going and did you have a relief pilot or not okay so your duty day can vary. The schedule is very varied. It's not, as you know, a Monday to Friday, 9-to-9 job. 8-to-9 kind of thing. It's public holidays, anything depending on seniority and how they schedule you. You usually get a schedule, so you could be working weekends initially and all your holidays for years until you gain your seniority. Um, of course, you are always a training program. Most airlines, it's about three months when you begin. And they have a seniority system at least. In Jamaica and the U.S., there was a seniority system—first come, first serve So, your bidding for vacation, everything was based on your seniority number. Okay. Training was typically every six months for annual recurrency, and then a proficiency in the six-month mark. Some airlines in the U.S. know, um, for example, JetBlue, American Delta—they have AQP qualified training. You may go once a year. Where I was with Atlas, they did not have it. It was every six months, which was fine. Okay. Um, so, uh, a big a big change, for example, in the US was the upset recovery, UPRT, which we did every six months, prevention of stalls, spins, unusual attitudes that became big time with accidents in the aviation industry. Um, depending on the airline you're with, you can go to some very interesting de- destinations. I'm not sure about what it is like now, say with Caribbean, how diverse it is. It probably isn't. COVID is up upon us. but. With Air Jamaica, as you know, we had a, a wider structure. With, for example, Atlas Air, where I was with, it was um, global. We went worldwide.
1: What was your favorite destination?
0: The favorite destinations were, because I felt safe and I could tour and I could move around. were places like Hong Kong. Okay. It is not so now. Um, when I left, we had actually stopped laying over in Hong Kong because of COVID. Okay. It was Hong Kong and Europe, particularly like places like Germany, Amsterdam, I had the pleasure of visiting the the Emirates quite a bit, and Qatar, and I saw a few of the former Air Jamaica pilots there. So it was great, down to Hawaii, all the way up to Alaska, which was great in the summertime, not in the wintertime. I I saw all the seasons, (laughs) I saw the northern lights, you know, saw a multitude of things. It was awesome. South America, Santiago de Chile, to Brazil, to Peru, so it was uh, wonderful flying around with Atlas and um, of course the 747 you can go many places there was a time
1: so what wait sorry may I ask aircraft that you are
0: versed on type rated on from from the Cessnas and the Baron to uh, the 727 I was captain and, and all the positions on a 727 obviously not current the A300 B4 the A320 family. Um, The 747-400. So under the 747-400, the 747-8, which is a newer version, which came out in 2011, uh, it's the same type with a differences course. And the passenger aircraft we had was just a a basic differences course. When I left, it was maybe about eight variations of the, the 400. And also the Dreamlifter, which is the large cargo freighter that Boeing has. We had four of them operating for them for the 787 uh, Dreamliner program, carrying parts from around the world. That was very unusual. That was a true freighter. It was re-engineered, looking like a big guppy. (laughs) So it was carved out for that. Very, very, very different. That's different. That was uh, an awesome experience. Could you tell
1: me more about that awesome experience?
0: Well, so this... Um, Jamaican country bumpkin is with Atlas and I checked out November 2010 on the line after doing my three months in the simulator we went line flying around the world with an instructor and um, after checking out maybe about three four months later I ended up on a flight and I didn't realize what I had received as a bid you know I didn't realize it was on the, the the LCF and so we're going to Italy to get the parts around the wing route, the barrel parts around the wing route. So when I realized what we're on, it was like, wow, I'd never thrown in that kind of 747. And uh, it was re engineered where the auxiliary power unit was taken out of the 74 and it was totally gutted and carved out, very basic, no fire warning systems on the interior as most airplanes would have. So we had cameras in the cockpit um pointed at target areas inside this big cargo hull because you're carrying you're carrying the wings of a 787 you're carrying sometimes the flight deck of that 787 So there's a lot of bulk in there and at the time it was was one, one of the largest before the 380 came out. so when they're when they're loading the airplane there are say 14 bolts or rivets around that are, Hydraulically and electrically actuated by a a power transfer system from the ground. And when they unlock them, the tail opens up the cargo hole in the back 90 degrees. So the the tail, the empennage, is 90 degrees from the body of the aircraft. So when you come up to a 747C open like that, it was just magnificent, you know. Because so, you know,
1: normally for an aircraft, for example, the one behind us, you know, you have little door that just comes down. And, yes. But then when you look at this aircraft, just literally
0: open. Like right. <laughs> we really didn't have those doors. It was completely re-engineered by a Boeing engineer, and um, so so you would have specific routes for that, and then when they lock it up, it was a long process, and it was um, a special loading system. I could say a GPS, I can't remember, it was like a laser where they would, they, would, they would fit the parts in. You didn't just load it, it was very slowly done. So we had that. The airplane had a bit of vibration because of the, the lock on the tail, okay. you know, the, the wind flow on that lock. Mm-hmm. And you were reduced in speed, because the speed, the, the Sem4 can do Mach 9, although we were restricted to Mach 8-9 for um, airspace movement and ATC. This one was a little slower. And uh, in turbulence and certain wind conditions, you had uh, more limitations on it. So the average 747, at least um, the Atlas one, we were limited at a tailwind component of 15 knots. The LCF was 10 knots, just just because of what it was. Mm -hmm. So we would go to Italy, for example, pick up the the wing route around those barrels. Uh, Japan Nagoya was the actual wings of the 787 and bring them back to the U.S. We would go into Wichita, Kansas. They would have the flight deck only of the 787. And there's some fantastic photos of that. And um, uh, we would go into Payne or Charleston where they would assemble them or finish them. Okay. So that was an awesome experience. So
1: it's like you're in an aircraft and you're also carrying pieces of another aircraft to put
0: together. Correct. And that's all you could carry. Um, When you came in, it was a different entrance from below on the main deck, it was gutted. You would see the raw aircraft, basically. It wasn't finished like a regular passenger airplane or much as a freighter. It was very, very raw on the main deck, a little area. And then you go up a ladder to the flight deck and you had the flight deck, a bunk, a lav and a little galley, and that was it. So you're a little pressurized bullet on the nose of that 747 flying forward with this big cargo hulk and the fuel tanks so it was very different
1: okay because I've always wondered you know what 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 is it like being a tra- tra- well flying on a cargo aircraft versus Transport. you know an air- airline that is meant to carry passengers and I remember I saw a video of a captain he was saying he's going to run to the back of the aircraft and come back up and see how much time it takes and this is the raw Aircraft, no seats or anything, just, just literally just this long tube. Yes. And so he ran down and he yes. came back up and he was like, it took me that long to get from yes. there to here.
0: Yes, Is so you're talking about um, roughly 230 feet maybe, depending on which one, 230 give or take, depending on which version of a Sem4 you're dealing with. Um, as you know, on the Sem4, you have the upper deck, so you you have that portion on the upper deck. Usually with the galley, the bunks, or on a passenger configuration, it would be business class. Because okay. we had passenger aircraft, too. So, but regardless, you had the upper deck, and the ladders were different depending on whether it was cargo or a passenger airplane. Okay. So the cargo would be different on a, on a true cargo aircraft. We had true cargo aircraft, you're carrying very dangerous hazmat, very hazardous. Uh, lithium batteries are, are hazardous. Um, Sometimes you'll be carrying a plane load of that. Um, You could be carrying compressed gases. I've carried a few for other countries where, when you're leaving the U.S., you're fine across the U.S. Um, Canada may not allow that type of hazardous material because you're declaring it when they're dispatching the flight. So you may not be allowed to, say, fly over Canada with compressed nitrogen. You go across the Atlantic, Spain or France may not allow it, so you may have to route a certain way, and you're ending up in, say, uh, Dubai or, or Jordan or somewhere else, or some other government or some other uh, military. So you have to plan and make a stop somewhere where you're allowed. So that is uh, an impact on your flight planning and how you operate the flight if you have a, an emergency where you have to divert. So your flight planning with your dispatcher is very key and the briefing you get. You usually don't need a briefing because everything is there if you're following the flow, but sometimes you need to call your, your dispatcher and get a phone-to-phone briefing because you might be in, say, Tennessee or LA and the person he or she might be either in New York or Cincinnati, so you're not having any face-to-face. So you have other hazardous material. You know You would carry engines or other aircraft Sometimes it be shoes, electronics, which is no big thing. You could be carrying toilet. I've carried a load of toilet paper to Venezuela more than once. I've carried currency to Venezuela more than once. So that that is not hazardous, really. You know, that's very light, easy cargo. So you're trained in cargo and dangerous goods, uh, which is required as a regulation. You have to do exams on dangerous goods ever so often. Uh, your loadmaster and who presents the paperwork to you, it has to be all in order. You have a notoc, which is a notification to the captain. You have to peruse it. You're depending on your first officer. Sometimes in a SM4, you'd have four four people operating because of the duty day. You're depending on someone to go downstairs onto the main deck, checking that everything is strapped down correctly, the locks are up, loaded as they say for hazmat. You have to know where it is. You might be carrying uh, dry ice, which is limited. That that is another dangerous uh, product. So so. You might be flying into Afghanistan for the military base, they're carrying all these things, okay? So you have to know, you're declaring an emergency, you'd have to let ATC know that you have this hazmat on board. You know, so much fuel, of course, you know, position time, so much fuel, so much souls on board, but more importantly, type of hazmat and where it's located because if you're having say a cargo fire which can happen to anybody you'd want to you'd you'd want to know where the fire is happening yeah and why it's happening and the the checklist may say tell them not to come up to the the cargo or wait a period of time before they enter and of course you want to be off
1: because that's kind of you know yes but it's good to it's, it's For cases like that, you'd understand why the increased awareness is important.
0: Very, very important um, because of the hazardous material. And a lot of us, before I went into the cargo world, you take things for granted. A lot of things coming here may come on ships, but a lot of countries, you're flying in cargo. Simple things you, you, you take for granted. The food you're eating, like we'll be carrying fish from one, like say, Santiago might be salmon. Lima, Peru might have been uh, strawberries or something, you know, so you're carrying stuff for people's table. It's amazing where food is coming from. And in COVID times, a lot of things shut down.
1: That's the thing I really wanted to touch on. COVID has affected everyone, Mm -hmm. definitely aviation, because Mm -hmm. there's not as many persons flying, especially, for example, during the summer where, you know, people are leaving day in, day out. Mm -hmm. So how has COVID
0: impacted you? When I was flying up till October, it it was it was very very busy, extremely. It was a it was a business ever for me with that airline. And uh, on one assignment, I was away for 25 days. I agreed to be away longer than the 17 days. I was waiting on a check ride. It was uh, difficult to acquire and to get somebody. Eventually, when they did. Uh, a plane broke down and I had to extend three days. And it was actually in Spain, which was awesome, but it was COVID. We <laughs> were locked up in a hotel anyway. So we went uh, out of Spain. And then again, when we went to somewhere else, maintenance. Because very few people were flying. And we had to find maintenance. So I ended up being away for 25 uh, days. Of course, you're compensated for that. But the busiest flying was during the COVID. Because as a freight carrier, we were carrying the PPs. We were going into China. Bringing stuff back,
1: uh, that's you know the, the need for those kind of Absolutely. things. drastically increased Absolutely. So you know to get it as fast as you can. Right. As much flights as possible. And
0: we had the temperature. We have temperature-controlled airplanes for the pharmaceuticals, and and well, the PPS may not be temperature sensitive, but sometimes it would be pharmaceuticals or human blood you're carrying. Uh, and these airplanes things. are like big fridges. You Pretty know. much. Yeah, so we'd bring from China on that particular route, they would stop in Kazakhstan where we were because uh, I wasn't going to China. Other crews would agree to go in and then we'd bring it through Germany, sometimes Germany would want PPEs or Spain, and then it would probably go on to New York or wherever, so that's still ongoing. But yeah, I, I, I flew throughout, did all the precautions with masks, sanitizers,
1: everything, your
0: vitamins, <laughs> whatever it <laughs> takes, no problem, none whatsoever.
1: That this is okay. It is not necessarily that bad to do. You know, I'm kind of, right. kind of yeah. seen something like this before. Yeah, you
0: get into it. now with the COVID flying. Of course, the destinations were different. What was once the best destination, for example, Hong Kong, we weren't going anymore, and it wouldn't be somewhere. Plus, they were having protests in Hong Kong uh, up to a year ago, so you wouldn't want to be there. Um, so you might have to pick somewhere else. You know, but it's it has changed. Even in the U.S., it has changed different states or cities have different precautions, and it's not like it was before. So it's a, it's a new world. That's the
1: that's the impact That you know, slowly but surely the world was getting towards where, you know, you're phasing out certain things and you're bringing in new things mm-hmm. where you're less dependent on, say, having to have everything face to face and having to have interaction. But then it's like COVID has forced persons to, get into the mode of learning to interact and be only so close, right? Correct. And uh, I'm sure that because of everything going on with the virus that has changed aviation, I would hopefully Mm. say for the better, Mm -hmm. even though initially from what I was, you know, from what you would hear and what you would see, it wasn't that wonderful because persons were losing their jobs and- Still are. Still are losing their jobs. So, you know, it's not very wonderful to think of it that way, that a virus could just flip everything in a month's time, uh, six months' time. Yes. So, I wanted to ask you, what advice do you have for persons who are looking to come into this, this field? especially for the young girls who are watching, because as you know, aviation has changed from the time when you started to when the time that we would be going into it now. So what would you tell tell a young girl that you didn't get to hear from someone?
0: Okay, well, before I answer that, um, COVID, one of the things about COVID now, and unfortunately, some people being furloughed or not having the job opportunities, it is a good time to hunker down and prepare yourself. You can take this time to take a little break and think differently. You know, it might be reviewing a course, taking a course, going online, or preparing for an exam, or maybe you have the the private pilot course book in front of you, finding the motivation to sit down and doing that. This is a good time to repair and redo and and reset, I would say, you know, and, and think about the way forward. But for not just young girls, I would say... Anybody, um, preparation, being honest with yourself. What really are your abilities? And if you're not sure, having someone maybe guide you on that What are you, or getting a book, you know, what color is your parachute? Mm-hmm. You know, honing in on, okay, how, how do I best prepare myself for an interview or a resume? Uh, you want you want to apply to, say, Caribbean or an airline. Those resumes are a little different from maybe the average all-round resumes.
1: And you see, and I, w- I wouldn't have known that
0: well you may you may want to have a different objective very specific objective for the airline you know your qualifications what qualifications you have right up front then the work experience then your education someone may tell you something different you know are you a member of an aviation club do you put it with your interests below mm-hmm. this club or women aviation 99s, you know you want to gear for that industry and that airline so you have to be careful with the with the resume and how you dress for the interview, it's nothing like feedback for the next person. But for anybody out there, especially young people, education, finish a high school. If you have a chance to go to college or some technical school, go and get that higher degree. Finish it up. Uh, If you can be an intern or a volunteer, you can't get a job, but maybe you can volunteer. Search a church or a club or something involved with sports. It shows something if you're doing something. You're not just staying at home, languishing. It, it's, like I said, it's not always about the money. Money is important, but sometimes when you're doing volunteer work or helping out, that is something, that accounts for something. That's some form of energy exchange. That would be my advice. Um, um, and if you're definitely going into aviation, the student pilot license to the private, if you can afford it, will let you know if you have the ability to go forward
1: that's like the, the deciding factor where you're really through. Yes,
0: really I, would, I would think so because as an instructor I had some students and you could see they never had the ability or they had the wrong reasons for trying to do it. Maybe they were following a parent or they were going in for just the wrong reason and they, they needed to be guided and, and sh- or, or maybe handed over to a different instructor. So if you're going to do the private, it would be good if you could stick with an instructor, maybe two. Schedule everything. Try not to be inconsistent. Try to consistently do it. When you have your money saved, try and get a few lessons in to grasp that concept. I would suggest doing the theory as much as you can first, so that you understand a lot of what the instructor is trying to teach you. You know, and now for those who are in the private course, going through emergencies, what would you do if you had an engine failure or you heard a loud noise or? something happens and you think you might be near an impending stall. Do you know how to recognize a stall or a near spin? You know, taking off and doing a turn at lo- slow speed when you lose an engine.
1: Because, you know, I've heard of cases like what they would do in school, certain schools, not all schools, it varies, yeah. you know, where they would deliberately put the plane in a stall and then tell you, okay, take it back out, you know, fix it. Or they, or they would, you know, you're coming into Lando and you're saying, okay, you know, you checked off everything, all is well, now we just have one final test for you. And they turn off the engine and say, okay, land the plane. We turn off the engine.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, I would like to think that the instructor gave a good briefing before and that you're being trained and practiced on your emergencies. And yes, one of them would be an engine failure. You know. And are you prepared for the type of, say, 172? Are you used to just a six-pack or are you going to go in with the, the glass concept that's in the airplane but um, yeah proper briefings by the instructor proper demonstrations are important so you as a student can do your part by going through the course material and knowing certain things before you try and come because you want to capitalize on that over you have an instructor and if you feel that instructor is not giving you your money's worth or is not teaching you you can have a discussion at the end and Try and maybe reschedule, but I don't know how much choice we have at a small school. True, you know, and it's very important to have somebody in your group or in your club be your be your study buddy or somebody can bounce things off or do hangar flying. Hangar flying works, you know, going going through what you do. Like we do that for simulators on the jets. Have your um, panels up, which of course are bigger and more complicated, but you can still set up a little cockpit at home. Or you have a little simulator at home. So going through that and verbalizing things helps.
1: Because you know you know, you'd find apps on online and such that, you know, you can see and get yes. an idea of what it's like yes. to fly. When I was in high school, I I downloaded one and I was saying, Okay, I'm going to learn to be steady, you know? And I'm using it and then two seconds later I crash and I'm saying what's happened <laughs> you know and then it's like you learn that you know aircrafts are sensitive and especially for example helicopters that are even yes. more sensitive yeah. Yeah. so you watch the hand movements you learn what you're doing and you learn how to take a, have a nice takeoff and a mm-hmm. nice landing mm-hmm. so you really touch the professional mm-hmm. equipment now mm-hmm. it's like nothing
0: well yes practice makes perfect and there's nothing like the real thing but with the simulators they're great but they're not exactly like the real thing and with the simulators, too, it's good if you had somebody there to guide you and say, well, this is what you can expect, or this is a technique. So going online is one thing, but if you're not, I would say if you're not guided by someone, it, it, it could be difficult. You may not achieve what you the really best, to achieve. The, your true potential out of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have schools that have simulators, too. The instructor is supposed to help them prepare and say, okay, this is what you expect. This is what you're going to see, you know, and debrief you after, or you debrief after. You know, self debriefings are very important. Did you really get that? You know, mm-hmm. the instructor is more of a facilitator. So it'd be good if you had somebody like that to, to guide you. You know, it's very easy you now with online. Back in the day, we never had the online. The times
1: change, and they come with good things. Yes, <laughs>
0: yes. but that's the advice for young people, anybody getting into career. The the education, big big. Uh, having support with clubs, study buddies, mentors, whatever, and uh, trying to be as positive but realistic as you can be
1: because you know at the end of the day you have to be honest with yourself about what yes. you're going into yes. and having a really strong support system it it helps to reinforce you mm-hmm. anytime you know you're tired and you know you're wondering, okay do I, am I really about to go through with this and I have someone that just straightens your spine and tells that, listen, so we started out with, this is what we're going through, we're, yes. we're doing yes. this, you know, and you're yes. almost there, yes. God wouldn't bring you this far, just leave you right here. Yes. You know, there's, there's a purpose, there's a greater purpose for you, yes. and you're yes. on your way, so yes. keep pushing forward.
0: And remember, you know, you might set out to be, say, an airline pilot. It may not be what you end up with, maybe it's not meant for you. Not everybody's meant to be an airline pilot. I thought I would be going into medicine, that's not where I went at all I went into the airline doesn't mean that I'm not interested in medicine or health concerns so something that starts as a hobby could end up being a successful career for you and something you think might be a successful career may not be may just be a hobby and you have to be careful with your funds.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> all so, right so thank you thank you very much for taking the time and just Walking us through your life, your aviation career, and just giving us advice on what it really means and what you really will be facing when you enter the world of aviation and as a professional. So, thank you, thank you, viewers, for spending the time with us. And this has been the second half of our interview with Captain Maria Zidi Haddad. Thank you again for watching. This has been Squawk 876. Thanks Antonio. Thank you. you.